Thank you, Christian. Uh, Christian Ebner has been here with us all weekend, uh, ministering to us. The song he sang earlier, Song of Repentance, called Home, uh, is on his CD, which is called Home. Uh, Yesterday, Alex talked about the fact that we need to saturate ourselves in the Word and in worship, and one of the ways we do that is with music that lifts our hearts to to heaven. And um, uh, Christian has a bunch of these out there on this table. Please pick one up. Uh, It's $10. It's a small price to pay to have your hearts lifted day after day. So thank you, Christian, for ministering to us this weekend. And then also... Um, before I introduce Alex, and I will dismiss the children, those of you who are panicked that I forgot, uh, I didn't. A year ago, I made this little sign that says, Dismiss Children, so that way I can't forget anymore. Actually, somebody made it for me. I just wanted to highlight a few um, books um, that Alex has brought here with him. Uh, and, and if we don't have enough here, you can order them. But these are, these are key books for the church. Uh, the first one I want to highlight is Leading with Love. Um, by Alexander Strzok. Um, and this is a book, it's, it's good for you as a husband, man. It's good for uh, us as leaders in the church. Any type of leadership, this tells us how to do this and how to do it in a way that's not domineering but is loving. Um, this is uh, required reading in certain classes at the Master Seminary, which is good. Uh, wonderful book. Um, and then also, similarly, Good for your your family, good for the church. If you bite and devour one another, another one of Alex's books, this is um, on biblical principles for handling conflict. This is a short little read, and it's important for you. And so please pick one of those up as well. And then I also want to highlight that uh, not only Leading with Love, but several other books. um, uh, Alex has available in Spanish as well. If Spanish is your first language, it's easier for you to read. Um, Get Leading with Love. I'm not going to try to say the Spanish version, but uh, whatever the Spanish version of Leading with Love is, uh, is out there on the table along with a number of other books that he's brought in Spanish. And then the one that uh, Alex has been highlighting, I think, the most is uh, Agape Leadership. And these are spiritual lessons from the life of R.C. Chapman. And uh, this, is, this is probably, what does it take, 45 minutes to read this maybe? And it is life-changing. It is encouraging to you. Um, it is, I just found this out, not a bad idea. In Alex's church, this is required reading for members of their church. So pick one of these up. And uh, he has said also, if you don't have the money, get one anyway, order it. And we'll, is that offer still good? That's great. <laughs> Before I give them away. Um, so uh, please uh, feel free to avail yourselves of those resources out there. We have to have resources as Christians. That's how we're built up. That's how we're, uh, we, we grow in our faith and we stay bolstered together. Well, how many of you here were at the conference this weekend? All right, that's good. The rest of you can repent and come next year. Um, the, the conference has been renamed. We are going to call it Steadfast. And we are going to be looking next year at at walking the walk of our faith in steadfastness. Um, And I I will dismiss the kids here in a minute. I have one more announcement. Um, There will be no evening service tonight. We've had about 17 of them in the last 24 hours. So we're going to take a break tonight. A lot of you who have served, you're tired out. And we want to just give you a break and and give you an opportunity to have that time off uh, this evening with your family. So there will be no evening service tonight. Now, children are dismissed. As they're going, I want to just uh, mention, um, we've had a wonderful time with Alex this weekend, and it's our joy to have him with us again. But for those of you who weren't at the conference and who, have, who are not as familiar with his ministry, Alexander Strzok has been 
involved in the area of biblical eldership and the, the, the functioning of the life of the church for decades now. He's served in one church, basically your entire adult life, uh, in, in Littleton, Colorado, uh, Littleton Bible Chapel. Uh, and he's taught in 25 countries. He has helped thousands of churches, including ours, uh, through his materials, through his uh, expository writing ministry. Uh, he has a couple of hundred thousand copies of his books in print and counting. He's best known, though, for his book, Biblical Eldership, which has steered literally thousands of churches in the right direction uh, toward loving biblical eldership. It's been translated into 20 languages. Uh, Alex and his wife, Marilyn, uh, reside in Littleton with their four adult daughters and 11 now grandchildren. Is that right? Absolutely. Since yesterday, they haven't added another one. So, okay. Just wanted to make sure. Would you please give a warm welcome to Alexander Strzok? You dismiss my favorite people. Those beautiful young people. Young people see things so differently. The, the message I'm going to give you on Psalm 133 talks about the holy oil upon the head running down upon the beard. So I was speaking that one time, and some of the young people were sitting in the front here, and they started laughing. I said, what are you kids laughing at? They said, oh, that oil will go down your head really fast. <laughs> I said, throw those kids out of here. Good morning, church. And uh, it is so delightful to be with you. And one year ago, exactly this time, I walked into Steve's office. I don't, I don't even know why. I just walked into his office and sat down. He probably thought I wanted to be a student there or donate a lot of money to the, uh, to the school, which would never happen. I don't have a lot to donate. But anyway, I sat down by him. I, I don't think I ever met you before, Steve. And we were talking, and I don't even know why he invited me here then. Must have been desperate at that moment or something. And so one year ago, literally this time, he invited me here. And uh, as we've all learned, a year goes by quickly. So it's all Steve's fault. Do not blame me. Now, I would like you to take your, your notes. You have them in your, your bulletin. And if you would take your Bible, and I... I'm going to ask you to stand again. It'll be a good exercise, and we'll read a very short psalm, so you won't have to stand too long. Psalm 133. I thought this would be a good conclusion to our, our weekend. Psalm 133. A Song of Ascent of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, sisters too. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Would you just take a moment of silence and you personally ask the Lord to reveal this truth to you today of Psalm 133. Our Father, we thank you for the Psalms. For 3,000 years, they have been ministering to your people. Great comfort. 
We just ask today that we would enter into the beauty of this psalm and apply it to our lives as we leave here today. Give us understanding. Give us conviction. Give us the motivation to act. May we not be hearers only, but doers and blessed of you. In the name of our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, Behold the Beauty of Unity. I thought this would be a good way to conclude our conference. Now, if you look at your outline, the historical background to the psalm, as you can see, there's no inspired superscription. In other words, we do not know the particular time or the occasion in which this psalm was written. So I'd have to say this. The time, the, the psalm is timeless and it's universal. This is a psalm for today. It applies to all situations in which people live and work together. It's for families. Uh, It's for churches. It's for missionaries. It's for Christian ministries. It's for society at large. This is a psalm you can take with you today, and when you leave, you can apply it today. You can apply it tomorrow at work, where you work, and it will apply very nicely to your life as the people of God together. Now, the awful consequences of sin, one of the plagues of the curse is that we are fighters. World history can be traced through wars and division. Sadly, the church of Jesus Christ can be traced through wars and many, many divisions. The first sin recorded after Adam and Eve's sin was that Cain killed his brother Abel, and we've been killing each other ever since. It is a psalm for today. George Verwer of Operation Mobilization, a man who probably speaks in more churches than any man alive, he said last year he spoke in over 400 churches, man is 75 years of age, uh, travels the, uh, glo- goes around the, the globe at least twice a year. He's an amazing, amazing man. Says this, to see a church at peace is an oasis in a desert. To see a church at peace is an oasis in a desert. Now, if you're a preacher, you get to know this, and here's why. You don't know this, but as soon as the preacher comes into the church, everyone tells him the problems of the church. Do you know the problems we have here? No, I don't even want to hear about them, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We have an organization in New York City, and if you ever go to New York City, it's really good to visit the United Nations. It's very, very interesting. They give you a guided tour of it. Well, we call it the United Nations. It's anything but united. The only thing it's united in, and it is united in, is its sin. Very seldom do you see people repent in the United Nations or say, we're sorry. Everyone is full of self-justifications. This is a psalm for today. Now, let's look at the psalm. Let's look at the structure. The structure is very, very simple. It's a very simple psalm, so it's easy to remember, easy to memorize. Uh, Verse 1 presents the main theme, which we'll look at in a second. Verses 2 and 3 present two dynamic illustrations of verse 1. Now, David was not only a great warrior, a great king. He was so gifted in many areas, but he was a gifted teacher. Solomon tells us that in the book of Proverbs, that his father taught him. So I, I would imagine that much of uh, Proverbs is also comes from King David. He was a great teacher. Now, all great teachers know one thing. If you want to be a good communicator and you really want to touch people and you want to connect with people, have good illustrations. Why a teacher would not use illustration is literally beyond my comprehension. Our Lord is the greatest teacher who ever graced this earth, and he was a master illustrator. 
if I were to give you a definition of how to, uh, about loving your neighbor, it would be gone in seconds, in seconds. But no one will ever forget the story of the Good Samaritan. What is it to love your neighbor? That story has carried for 2,000 years, and it communicates the point. So let's look now at these two illustrations. The theme, the theme, the theme is the goodness and the beauty of unity. The goodness and the beauty of unity. Now, there's two key words here. The first word is good. And the word good has the idea of something that's intrinsically valuable. It emphasizes the inward quality of excellence. It is something of great value. Now, the second key word is pleasant. You'll have different translations of this. And it has the idea of the outward, the appearance, the beauty, the attractiveness of, of unity. It is a beautiful thing to behold. Nothing more beautiful than seeing a family in unity. A church in unity, a nation in unity, it is very appealing to the eye and to the ear. Now, the psalm begins with a trumpet blast. Wake up. I see some of you in the back there, and I can see you. Don't think I can't. Behold. Behold. This is something to look at. Pause. Gaze. Study. Spurgeon said, it's a wonder seldom seen, therefore behold. So I would say this to you. Whenever you see a group in unity, behold it. Now that means study it. Reflect on it. Ask some good questions. For example, when when you see unity among a, a group of people, ask this. How did you achieve that? We had a family in our church, uh, six children, and uh, a wonderful family. The children have all grown up to be wonderful children and serving the Lord. And uh, I, when I was a young father, I took this man out. I was beholding unity, and I took him out for lunch, and I said, tell me some of your secrets as a father and a husband. I want to learn as a young father. And he gave me some very wise counsel. You see, I was beholding unity. I wanted to study this. I wanted to find out how this dad do this. You see a nation at unity. You see a nation at rest. Ask, what are the principles that has brought this nation to this point? Now, I know we all love to complain about the USA, and we've got many, many complaints, but you better compare this to any other place in the world. We don't have tanks going up and down uh, the main street in Washington, D.C. We don't have senators shooting and killing one another. We don't have out-and-out civil war. We don't have leaders that are robbing every dime we have and, and, and killing people and imprisoning people. So be careful of exaggerating the problems. You, you live in peace. We don't have soldiers coming in here. I was just in Russia with some of the brothers uh, from the Master Seminary, and they said, you will have people in here listening to you and, and uh, uh, watching what you say, and they will go over everything. And then two weeks after I left, Jonathan Moore, his family was put, put out of the country. I mean, you, you don't know what oppression is. How is it that America has achieved 200 years of, of uh, peace and unity? We've had rough parts. It was the principles, the principles in which it was founded. And law, you know, many countries, many, many countries are governed by utter corruption from the president down. 
You don't know what it's like to be in a country where the police are all corrupt. Now, does that mean we don't have any corrupt police? Yes, we do. But it's not the norm. And if a policeman in most cities is caught extorting money, which is very common in many countries, uh, he's in serious trouble. So you should be thankful to God for the peace we enjoy and the civility of our country and pray for it to continue. What are the principles and when you see a church in, in harmony and a church in unity, ask, how did you achieve that? It's very important to know. So whenever you see unity, behold it. Learn to ask questions. Ask lots of questions of people. Unity is good. It's a very attractive and beautiful thing to observe. Praise God for it. Now, two illustrations. He's made his point. Unity is a good thing. Unity is a beautiful thing. And we should behold it and look at it. David's going to do that here. He's going to follow his own counsel. So two illustrations. Let's look at the first illustration. And the first illustration is in verse 2. Notice verse 2. It is like. Did you see those words? It's like. So unity is good. It's pleasant. It's beautiful. Now, It's like, here's an illustration. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And I know exactly what you're saying. What in the world is he talking about? Oil running down a man's head on his clothes? I mean, he's going to get dirty. That's because you're not a great reader of the Old Testament. This is a wonderful illustration. David is reaching back in Israel's history to that moment, sacred moment in Israel's history, when the entire nation gathers together. Aaron, his sons, are there in their brand new uh, uh, priestly garments. And Moses takes the holy oil and pours it on Aaron's head, and it runs down his beard, over the garments, over the holy names of the children of the tribes of Israel. And the scent goes up into the air, and the whole nation... The whole nation is brought together in a moment of sacred, holy unity as they install the first high priest and his family. And then the the, tabernacle and all the utensils will be dedicated to God by this holy oil. It's a very sacred moment. Now, this is a powerful, powerful illustration. Now, the illustration focuses on the holy oil. This is a perfumed oil that is manufactured by God's own design. In the book of Exodus, chapter 30, verse 22 to 23, uh, we're told the ingredients of this holy oil. It's liquid myrrh, 500 uh, shekels. It's uh, sweet uh, cinnamon, 250 shekels. Sweet calamus, uh, aromatic cane, 250. And a cassius, 500. Blended together in a perfect blend, a hin of olive oil to make a special holy oil that could never be used for any common reason 
And if you use this oil for anything outside of the anointing of the priest and the tabernacle and the king, you would be banned from Israel. A curse would be pronounced upon you. Gentlemen, Christmas is only five months away. You cannot buy this kind of perfume oil for your wife. Don't tell your wife that you've got God's holy oil for her. You will be banned. A curse will be pronounced. It's holy. It's sacred. It's special. It's unique. It can only be used for this special reason. Spurgeon wrote, What a sacred thing must brotherly love be, that it can be likened to an oil which must never be poured on any man but on the Lord's high priest alone. Now, what does this mean? How do we apply this? This is what we're interested in. Let me give you three applications of this. Number one, number one, unity is a holy thing. Unity is a holy thing. It's like the holy oil. It's special. It's unique. It's holy. It's sacred. It's no common thing. Cannot be treated as a common thing. It must be guarded and properly used. Maybe if we look at the opposite, we'll get get a picture of this. The opposite is disunity. And disunity is an unholy thing. It's a toxic thing. It is destructive. Satan is the sower of discord, and he has his oil. He's the master of division. Proverbs 6, the seven deadly sins, which you may know some of them, but I bet you don't know the last one. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yea, seven which are an abomination to God. The first is pride. Do you know what the last of the seven deadly sins is? He who spreads strife among the brethren. He who spreads strife among the brethren. It is a terrible sin to divide people. Do you know that most of our divisions are not over the divine nature of Christ? They're over very often personality conflicts or some trumped up charges, misunderstandings. I have listened to hundreds of divisions in my lifetime. And most of them are brought on by unsanctified, malicious behavior of the Christian people. It never needed to occur. Sometimes division does need to occur, but it is rare compared to most divisions. You go through the Old Testament, you see example after example of unholy divisions, Cain and Abel. You have Jacob and Esau. In fact, it's almost humorous. While they were in the womb of their mother, they are fighting for preeminence so that even at the moment of birth, one's grabbing the other guy's foot going, I'm coming out first. You have the terrible story of a dysfunctional family, Joseph and his brothers and the father, and oh, what a mess the family is, and they're prepared to kill their own brother, this lovely, lovely man, Joseph, out of petty jealousy. And then I think of Saul and David, and I think of Israel after Solomon uh, divided into the north and the south. And I think of the New Testament, the church in Corinth, almost ready to secede from other churches and giving Paul a headache after headache. My dear friends, it's reality. It's a divided world. It's the consequences of the fall. It's the consequences of the curse. So I want you to hear this right now. 
The next time you pick up the phone and you are spreading stories about other brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, unity is a holy thing. The next time you've got some accusation to make against a person and you really don't know what you're talking about, remember, unity is a sacred thing. It's no common thing. And you're involved in the devil's work. I don't care if you're an elder in the church. You can be involved in discord and this unholy practice of dividing the people of God. No wonder the Lord Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Because we've got a lot of troublemakers. as uh, the expanded version. So much misinformation floats in a church. I don't believe anything anyone tells me. If my wife tells me something, I say, well, that's fine, dear, but I'm going to call them people. I'm going to find out. I have seen it my entire life in our church. Misinformation or what is some person's judgment about another person that becomes fact. And it's not fact. man called me one time. He said, you know, uh, we had planted a little tiny church near the Denver University area. And a man called me and said, you know, Alex, they're all speaking in tongues over there. I said, that's very interesting. Now, I could have got on the phone, called all the other elders. I could have called all my friends, maybe put it in the paper. Our new church is speaking in tongues. Well, first of all, I knew the people. So I said, okay, let, let me, I'm going to call. I'm going to call over there. I'm going to ask them. I'm not going to listen. I don't believe anything anyone tells me. I don't care who you are. You ever hear about the man who's walking down the street? And someone came up, a friend came up and said, Oh, you're alive. I was told you were dead. Well, you can see I'm alive. Yes, but I was given this un- good information. <laughs> Very little good information. Until you have talked to the person involved, you do not know. You've only heard an opinion. So I called the church and I said, Hey, uh, Bruce, uh, here you guys speaking in tongues. What's going down? He goes, uh, Well, not anything I know. Where did this come from? One time, uh, there was a meeting at uh, Youth for Christ, main headquarters, about maybe 75, 100 people there. And uh, one of our elders was there. He was very involved in the organization. And uh, someone gets up in the meeting and announces to this whole group that Alex and Marilyn Strauch have divided. Everyone goes, So one of the elders was there, and he knows me very well. And he said, boy, this this doesn't sound right. So he goes right onto the phone. Didn't have cell phones in those days. He gets right on the phone, and he calls me, and he says, Alex, I, we were, we're at Youth for Christ, and they, they're praying for you in Maryland that you've been separated. So are you separated? I said, hold on. Marilyn, have we been separated? <laughs> Not yet. I said, Not yet. As far as I know, she's in the house here where everything's okay. Now listen to this. I said to my friend, Drew Miller, I said, Drew, find out where that came from. Do you know we could never track that down? Who knows? You may have heard that recently. Anyone hear that? Raise your hand. (laughs) I haven't heard about it. Think of those uh, 75 people all going home telling their friends. I'm, I'm warning you. Do not listen or believe anything until you've talked to the person. And the person has a right for that. I wouldn't want someone going around passing information about me uh, and not having anyone check. I appreciate when someone calls and asks, 
is this true? I really appreciate that. And you be that same kind of person. Misinformation floats around churches. When, when Hudson Taylor came to the end of his life, it's a very interesting story how he did this. He appointed a very young man, a man in his 30s, to take over this, one of the largest missions in the world. D.E. Host, a godly man, was the perfect choice. If you've ever read his biography, D.E. Host, a prince with God. He was a prince with God. And um, D.E. Host... Um, was in England at a conference, and during the Q&A time, they asked Mr. Host, there's over a thousand missionaries now in the interior of China, so you can imagine the burden on this man's shoulders, and, and uh, regularly people are dying. Uh, they asked Mr. Host, what is the biggest problem you have in the mission? Now we're thinking maybe it's finances or something like that. Listen to his answer. The biggest problem in our mission is tail-bearing, gossiping, rumor-monging among the missionaries. Did you hear about brother so-and-so? I'm not sure if he still really holds to the scripture, the inspiration of scripture. No, I didn't know that. Go tell the next person. He doesn't believe in the inspiration of scripture. Next guy, you go tell him that. You know, he's throwing his Bible in the river. And all of a sudden, the guy's not even a believer anymore. Do not do it. When you hear rumors, remember, most rumors are someone else's judgment. It's not right or wrong. You better check. I could tell you many stories, but we don't have time, of how these rumors go around, and you just wonder, how is it? How is it that these things get so distorted? Tailberry, rumor-monging, and boy, it's big in a church. Some problem happens, and the phone lines light up. Everyone's got their opinion, and they'll let you know they're on God's side. So, hear this. Unity is a holy thing. Don't you be a sower of discord. And when you're a sower of discord, you're in the devil's work. You're in a different sphere of life. Blessed are the peacemakers. Give justice to one another when you hear these things. And always be understanding of others. Some of these rumors may be true, but then we have to interpret the rumors and understand properly. Now, the second thing it teaches is that unity begins at the head. Notice uh, it's poured upon Aaron's head, down upon the beard, goes over the holy garments. So he's, he, the, the direct application is Jerusalem, the city of God, in which the blessing goes out. And so he's saying this, unity begins at the head. It begins with the priests and the elders and the king and those in charge of Jerusalem. And when unity is at the head, it then flows down over the holy garments, over the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and all the way down to the edge of the robe. In other words, unity begins in Jerusalem, and then from Jerusalem, when the king and the priests and the elders and the nobles are all in together in unity, then it just flows through the whole nation. Same thing's true in a church. When the elders are in unity, that unity flows right down into the, into the, kin, uh, the children's uh, ministry right now. And then, listen carefully, it flows out into the community. A friend of mine uh, uh, left our church to start a business up in the mountains, a small community. And he got into that community. He was looking for a church. And uh, as a result of his job, he met a lot of people in the community. He was asking about churches. And there was a church right by his house. And everyone said, oh, that church, that church, that's a fighting church. People even bet how long a pastor will last there. So this is a true story. So my dear friend uh, goes to this church on a Sunday night. 
and they're having an all-church meeting, and they're voting on the pastor. (laughs) And the pastor's there. And my friend and his wife were sitting in the back of the church, and in the back of the church, they're handing notes around and giggling and laughing. And My dear friend uh, became angrier and angrier, and they're talking about this pastor and just malicious behavior. My friend got so angry that he walked up to the front of the church, and he said, I'm a visitor in your community. And I've heard this is a fighting church, and I came here tonight to give you a chance. And I'm sitting in the back there, and you're giggling and laughing at this man's life and in this vote. And he said, it's the most sinful thing I've ever seen in a church. And he told them off. Guess what the people said? Would you be our pastor? Oh, oh. Well, actually, he stayed in the church. He did stay in the church. And that man, through his great leadership, became a deacon in the church. And that, those were the elders, really. And he turned that church around with great leadership. And they excommunicated several people who had bragged over years that they had gotten rid of the last five pastors. It begins at the head. And then he says, unity is a diffusive thing. And this is a big point here. And that is that unity, it just goes all over the nation. It starts in Jerusalem, but it it diffuses itself. Now, the story I just told you is a perfect example that if there's unity here, it will flow through the whole church. It will create growth. It will create the the, um, maturing of the people of God. The finer things, the finer gifts will, will develop. People will uh, be uh, edified. The little children will grow. They'll have a happy experience in church. Wonderful memories. But then it goes right outside the church. Every one of you has a sphere of minimum 75 people. Every one of you. Relatives, friends, people. Some of you are very influential people. You may have hundreds of people that you have a sphere of influence. You young people, you have a sphere of influence that we'll never know anything about in junior high, senior high, college. Sphere of people that you're with. Now, what is happening in this church goes out to every single member here, and they go to their sphere of influence, and they go, oh, we love our church. Oh, we love it. Such a beautiful community. Another person goes to someone, says to the relatives, people at work, oh, I love our church. I love church. And all of a sudden, a year goes by, two years go by, and thousands of people in your community and throughout the world, literally, because they tell, tell, tell other ones, and you have a reputation. Now, if you're shooting it out, killing one another, hanging the pastor and all this kind of thing, that gets out too. People say, it's a fight in church. Just like my friend. It's a fight in church. They got some of the best fighters we've ever seen. No pastors last more than uh, two years there. It gets out. So it's a diffusive thing. So it's, unity is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. What a wonderful thing for the community of Bakersfield to say, oh, we've heard so many good things about that church. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. To the name of Jesus. Now he gives the next illustration. And the next illustration is similar to the first one. So I don't have to go in in such depth. But the same point is here. Second illustration is the life-giving dew upon Mount Hermon. Now let's look at uh, verse 3. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. It's like. It's like the dew of Hermon. Now, 
<laughs> you're in Bakersfield, you understand this illustration. You see, Israel is an arid land, dry. You ever see the pictures on the TV, just a bunch of rocks? You wonder, what are they fighting over? It's an ugly place in many, many ways. But boy, they're prepared to die for that land. You have to think there's something supernatural going on here. It's a dry land. And when you live in a dry place, the, the copious dews upon Mount Hermon, about 9,000 feet, 16 to 20 miles long, those dews and those snows and the rains, they, they create rivers and they create uh, moisture and it creates growth. In the dry summer, you, draw, you drive, you lead the, the sheep. Shows you I live in cattle country. You lead the sheep up the mountain to the, to the, the streams and to the grass because they'll, they'll, uh, there won't be enough grass in the lower grounds. So in a dry place, you know the importance of those dews, that rain. Now, when you come into Colorado, part of Colorado is very dry, very much like here. Uh, parts of it are semi-desert, like, like here in Bakerfield. And you come into Colorado, maybe you've seen this on I-70 or I-80. You come into Colorado, there's this huge sign. Do you know what it says? Colorful Colorado. And then for the next three and a half hours, there's only one color, brown. <laughs> First time I ever came into Colorado, I'm going, oh, yeah, what are beautiful colors. Are they? Brown's the only color I see here. Where's the color? What's well, in the mountains? It's in the mountains where you get the heavy dews. Now, this year, we've had a couple of very bad years, but this year we had record snows, record snows. Everything's green. And the, that, 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 that runoff has gone all the way down into Arizona and places, and the farmers, oh, they just love it. Thick, heavy snows that melt and then just go throughout the, the whole state and then into other states. So it's wonderful. Things grow, brings moisture and enlivens and refreshes and invigorates. It brings life. Without it, we dry up and shrivel up. Well, that's what unity is like. It's like the moisture, the refreshing. Refreshing dews. Ah, you can smell it on a rainy day in a dry place. You go, oh, I can smell the humidity. It smell the moisture. Oh, and you can you can actually feel it on your skin. Your 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 nails are no longer cracking, and your lips. You don't need to put lip gloss on. Uh, you and of course, my poor head gets so dry. I don't know what to do with it. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, you just feel so good after a long, dry, dry spell. Oh, that's what unity is like. It's refreshing. It grows things. People in unity can do powerful things. When people are united, you cannot stop them. When they're divided, they can't do anything. Now, if there's ever a man who knew what this meant, it was David. He was a uniter, not a divider. When he became king of uh, Judah and Benjamin, he was in a divided nation in civil war. Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines, and the Philistines basically were in charge of the whole north of Israel. And in the north, there was a king, Ishbosheth, uh, with his general, Abner, and he was a very weak king. And in the south was David and Joab, and he was king. So he had two kings at one time for about two years. A divided, weak nation unable to stand against the enemy. 
Finally, David became king of the whole nation. And he sets out to bring unity to a divided people with a lot of hatred and a lot of reasons to hate David. You think of the the family of Saul. They looked at him as a usurper of the throne that belonged to Saul. But no, he was God's choice. He was God's man. David, as one of his first acts, conquers the city of Jerusalem, which is centrally located between the north and the south. Now, my dear friends, please listen to what David does. He realizes the nation's divided. There's lots of hatred. There's a lot of seeking of revenge. Both sides have killed people. For almost 70 years plus, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the most sacred object in Israel's history, was in a house. Saul had little regard for the things of God. He was more concerned about his own monument. And David is a man of God, and he loves God. He loves the law of God. He's a different kind of leader, and he knows we must unite the people. Well, he could go out and kill them all, kill all his enemies. He could force them into unity. That doesn't work. So what he does is he takes the Ark of the Covenant, the object that expresses the presence of the living and true God, and he gets the whole nation, the Bible says the whole nation, with all the priests, and with great fanfare, they take the Ark, and they bring it to Jerusalem with a special tent that had been prepared. And he puts the Ark there with great rejoicing, and with music, and with dancing, and with sounds of joy. He restores the priesthood. He uh, organizes the Levites into a beautiful choir. And he writes songs of praise to God. Literally, I could take you into Second Chronicles right now. The city was buzzing with priests. It was buzzing with music, the reading of the law. It was a totally religious center. What he said as a new king of the nation is, worship will be at the center of this nation. God will be at the center of this nation. The law of God will be at the center of this nation. The singing of the Psalms will be at the center of this nation. And he brought the nation together in unity. Behold, what a good thing unity is. What a precious thing it is. You know what it is? It's a sweet odor like the holy perfume oil to God. So it's a smell God loves. He hates the stench of fighting and division and, and, and bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness. It's a stench in his nostrils. No wonder he says, how good, how pleasant it is. It's just like the holy oil upon the head. It's just like the refreshing dew of Mount Hermon. Then he concludes with this statement. In uh, verse 3, uh, for, for from there, that's Jerusalem, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. David says, here's why unity is so important. In, in Jerusalem, God commanded the light to the nations. In Jerusalem, we have the priesthood, we have the law, we have the sacrifices, we have the true and living God. In a polytheistic world, there is a one true God who is alive, he's not an idol, and 
Israel was to be the light to all the nations of the world. They were to proclaim the living God. Their law was unlike anything people had ever seen. And here it is instead divided into two nations. Here it is weakened under the Philistines. It's a dreadful situation. It's no light to the nations. That's why he says, it's good that Jerusalem is in unity. It's a pleasant thing that Jerusalem is in unity because this is the place of light and truth. And the message is life forevermore. The message of salvation. Now, how do we apply this to us today? Well, if you look at uh, first. Timothy 3.15, it says this, I, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Now listen, the pillar and support of the truth. Every local church is a pillar and a buttress to the truth. What is the truth? Well, he tells you in the next two verses, the incarnation, the death of Christ, A message to all nations. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. And it is every local church is the place where this is held up and supported. It's not the university in uh, California that is the buttress of the truth. It's not your scientific uh, institutions. It's not your government that is the pillar and support of the truth. It's the local church. You have a big job. This is an important place. Now, if you turn to your news magazines, or you turn on CNN or Fox News, you'll see everything's about Russia today and the Ukraine and Israel and the Palestinians. And it looks like this is the sort of the global center of everything. No, it's not. The global center is the church of Jesus Christ putting out a message of life forevermore. Your time here on earth is just a short little period of time. This is the message of eternal life, sins forgiven, peace with God, eternity in the new heavens, the new earth, the glorification of the imperishable body. This is the only place that has that message. It is the pillar and the support of the truth. But you're the data. You're the verifying data. Is it true? You live it. You're the reality of it. Do you see why unity is a part of the gospel and part of the power in communicating the gospel? What good is a message when you have shattered people who can't even get along with one another and hate each other's guts? But when people are in unity in a divided world, people really do love one another sacrificially, selflessly. When they love to be together and to have joy, and they're not drunk because they're full of joy, but because they love one another, and they have something that unites them, this is the verifying data that the message is true. You're the living proof of the message. And that's why unity in the local church is so important, because the first casualty of disunity is the gospel message. And it will not allow for edification It will not allow for people to grow and mature. The whole church is stagnant when you go through conflict. It's a good thing. 
Unity is a good thing. And it's a pleasant thing. I didn't say unity at any price. Truth is greater than unity. In fact, we have no real unity without truth. But some people go to another extreme and think they just keep dividing, 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 dividing. Something is wrong there. When you have the truth, but you're still dividing. It's a very interesting story told by... uh, Anatoly Sharensky. Anatoly Sharensky is today a politician in Israel, but he was world famous because uh, under Mikhail Gorbachev, he was imprisoned. He was actually in internal exile for 11 years, a Jewish dissident. And he was very defiant to the Russian communist government, a, a, a courageous man. I mean, these, some of these people have courage that uh, I wouldn't even want to uh, uh, associate myself to even say I'm, I'm a man of that courage, great courage in the face of death. Well, Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan actually seemed to bond a friendship. And it was known internationally that Mr. Reagan wanted uh, Anatoly Sharensky released from internal exile and sent to Israel. So Mikhail Gorbachev, Ronald Reagan worked a deal. And a very famous day, reporters from all over the world were there when Anatoly Sharensky was released from Russia to walk into the free world. The Russian guard said to him, walk a straight line. And he went out there and went zigzag back and forth. So defiant. <laughs> when he got into the free world, uh, reporters were all around him asking questions. And uh, one reporter said, we heard that you threw yourself on the Siberian so- snow because... The Russians took your, your little Psalter away, your little book of Psalms. Is that true? He said, oh, yeah, absolutely. He said uh, he was uh, in, the, in the Siberian uh, desert and the, the, uh, the weather, and uh, the Russian guard took his little Psalter, and, 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 and Anatoly Sharensky threw himself down on the Siberian snow and said, I'm not getting up until you give me my little Psalms back. That Russian guard knew he would die there. He knew that. And he's a world-famous person, so he can't let him die without permission. And so the, the Russian guard throws the Psalter down in the snow. Anatoly Sharensky uh, polishes it off and goes back to the barracks. He said, that's a true story. I was prepared to die. So someone yells out at that moment, what's your favorite psalm? Oh, he said, Psalm 133. How good. How pleasant it is when men dwell together in unity. And then he explained why. He said, the one thing communism cannot stand, it is a false political philosophy, utterly false to its very base, is solidarity among people. Communism must divide people and keep them in fear of one another. But every night in our barracks, we were, we were fighting for our survival. Every night under a small light bulb, all us men would gather together and we would read the Psalms every night. And we understood them. And it was the reading of the Psalter every night that made us one man. We were prepared to die for one another. And the communists can't stand that. One thing Satan hates is when believers love one another and they are together. He must divide that. He must divide your church. He's, he's a prowling lion. Maybe you didn't see him, but he was outside the door right now. 
He's very patient. He's been at this for thousands of years. I want to guarantee you something. It's a matter of time before Satan, the great communist leader, he's the the architect of communism, because Jesus said in John 8, 44, he's a killer and he's a liar. Communism has killed millions of people, tens of millions of people to create the new man. It's a system of lies. Satan is the designer. He will come into your church. I can guarantee it. He's just waiting. He's very patient and everything's good, 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 good. And you start getting proud about yourself and we're wonderful. (sighs) Polish my badge. Who knows who he'll use here? Something will happen. You'll get your feelings hurt. Be some disagreement. Who knows? It it can be so petty. In fact, the pettiness is almost unbelievable. Maybe you changed the color of the inside of the auditorium. And now you're going to make sure this church feels it. He will do it, I guarantee you. He cannot take this. Right now, you're experiencing a season of unity. But I want to warn you that uh, unity is a holy thing. And if you engage in division, you are an unholy person, and you're sowing seeds of division. The power of this congregation will be seen in its love for one another and its unity for one another and you practicing the biblical virtues here in your church. When the trials come and the problems come, the disagreements come and the hurts and the wounds and all the other endless uh, things that happen in a church, remember this, unity is like the holy oil coming down upon the head. It's like ah, the refreshing dew of Hermon. Without it, you will not grow. Grow in a real way. Flourish spiritually. The gifts flourish. What Satan wants to sow is fear and guilt and hatred and suspicion and rumors. That's his work. James 3 tells us. I mean, what's wrong with that? He tells us these things. They're demonic, he says. But the wisdom from above is peaceable. Wisdom from above is is reasonable. It's patient. Read James 3. Right now, you're experiencing the blessing of the Lord, and that's a wonderful thing. But every single one of you must continue that spirit. Don't look around now and start elbowing someone and say, I hope brother so-and-so is listening. Oh, God, may he listen. No, no, forget about other people. You may be the one. Hear up. Satan can use anyone here. When you get bad feelings towards others, when you start listening to rumors, when you're glad that others are having problems, that's perversity. Get on your knees, confess it immediately, and be done with it. When people come and tell you things about other people, say, well, let's go to that person right now. And don't you believe anything until you hear from the people. When you hear other people's judgments about what people have done, you say, well, let's, let's look into this. And if you will pray for one another and seek to be a peacemaker and seek to be an encourager, you will be very blessed of God. And this church will be blessed. There's many troublemakers in the church, many. In fact, it seems to me that Satan actually sends people into churches who have a unique ability to just keep this grinding and this constant 
a disruption within the church. I've seen it in our own church. I actually see it right now. Mark those people, the Bible says. Mark them. Watch them. Deal with them. But don't you be that person. How good, how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in in unity. It's like the holy oil. It's like the refreshing dew on Hermon. Because from this place, this is a holy place. This is the temple of God. From this place, the Spirit is here now. Goes out the message. Life forevermore. I know very few of you. I don't know, but maybe someone is here today and you have never heard the message from this church that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, came to earth and took human flesh upon himself, was born through the Virgin Mary, lived upon this earth an absolutely sinless, perfect life, and then he was unjustly crucified. And upon that cross took the burden and the curse and the judgment of the sins of this world, took it to himself, died a common criminal, but a sin-bearing sacrifice as the Lamb of God. And then he was buried, and then he rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. It is in heaven right now. And he sent down the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself in eternal salvation. And he promises he will come back again in judgment upon this sick, divided, war-torn world. And he will set up his kingdom that will be a reign of absolute, total righteousness unlike anything this world has seen. One world ruler who will rule with a rod of iron, but in righteousness. Today, if you will believe him, if you will listen to the message I just told you and abbreviate it for you, if you will come with your sin and your utter helplessness, you cannot offer to God anything because you're the problem. If you will come to him and say, Lord, save a sinner, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He's in the business of saving sinners. Not do-gooders. And he will give you the Holy Spirit. And he will forgive all your sins. And he guarantees, he guarantees eternal life. Will you stand with me in prayer? Lord, our God, we thank you for the gospel. The wonderful story of Jesus Christ. Born, died, rose from the dead, coming back again. The free call of salvation to whoever will believe the promise of eternal life and sins forgiven. May we hear and believe and may we be a people that seek to be peacemakers. May we seek to heal wounds. May we be a forgiving people, a patient people, a gentle people, a Christ-like people. May we believe it is a good thing It is a pleasant thing when brothers and sisters live in accord with one another. Hallelujah. Amen.